Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, August 16th, 2019, and on today's report I will be talking about American economic sanctions placed on other countries as well as some of the effects of those sanctions. Economic sanctions are acts of economic warfare previously reserved for conduct between warring powers where war has actually been declared. There are a way short of military conflict for one nation to impose its will on another. For example, the British sanctioned, embargoed, blockaded Germany after declaring war in 1939. Germany responded in kind by imposing a U-boat blockade of Great Britain. Those nations were officially at war. Therefore, they claimed that war is the legal authority to conduct economic warfare against each other. What then gives the United States the legal, international, or moral authority to conduct economic warfare against other nations? I suggest that it is a simple Malthusian concept of might makes right. There were a few economic sanctions imposed by Washington prior to the first Gulf War, but that war Beginning in 1991 is one of my first memories of Washington's attempts to impose its will on others by economic warfare. The economic warfare that I continually make reference to is and must be backed by actual military power in order for it to be effective. For example, you may recall that the first Gulf War did not remove Saddam Hussein from power in Iraq instead. A no-fly zone, as well as economic sanctions, was imposed in Iraq that lasted until the second Gulf War, or for about 10 years. Most of the sanctions against Iraq were conducted by the Clinton administration, eight of the 10 years anyway. The Secretary of State for President Clinton was Madeleine Albright, and when she was told that the Iraqi sanctions had caused the deaths of about 500,000 Iraqis, many of them children, She replied, we think it was worth it. It's hard to see right now. It's hard to see the value. Looking back from 25 years, what was gained by it all? How was it worth it? Now we find ourselves sanctioning many nations in the world, along with many individuals from those nations. The reasoning behind sanctions seems to run something akin to the reasoning behind the strategic bombing campaigns of World War II. We don't like your leadership. And therefore, we will keep the pressure on until you overthrow your old leaders and accept leaders more to our liking. Strategic bombing was successful in destroying the infrastructure and war-making capabilities of targeted nations, but it was not successful in breaking the morale of the people so that they demanded peace from their leaders on terms favorable to their enemy. The truth is that the bombing strengthened their resolve, made them more determined to fight on. It gave the enemy leaders the opportunity to point to the destruction and say, this is peace to your enemies. Now we seem to be engaged in doing both. We impose economic sanctions where bombing is not yet appropriate or where the target nation is nuclear capable and physical bombing where it is not nuclear capable. Russia was sanctioned economically because it invaded eastern Ukraine and Crimea. My purpose here is not to defend Russian actions, but to argue that economic sanctions often make peace impossible to achieve. The Russian economy has been effectively bottled up 
by restrictions on its ability to sell petroleum on the world market, a product on which its cash flow depends. Russia went from being a cash-flush country before the sanctions to essentially financially cashless after the sanctions. In addition, many individual Russians were sanctioned, including many Russian oligarchs. To my knowledge, however, Vladimir Putin, who reportedly has about $40 billion stashed offshore somewhere, has not been sanctioned when you control the world's financial system, including how money moves from across the world. You can freeze assets, cut off access to offshore accounts, and so forth. When you are emperor of the world, you can also pressure your allies to cease doing business with the sanctioned country or suffer the consequences. Conflict with Russia and China has continued, at least economically, since the end of World War II in 1945, when it was clear that the United States emerged from that war as the most dominant power in world history. Only three American aircraft carriers made up the Pacific Fleet after the Pearl Harbor attack, but by the end of the war, just three and a half years later, America had about 150 aircraft carriers war in Korea brought the carrier back to center stage, and America busied itself, busied itself with building the 12 supercarrier fleet of today, Russia and China, tried to compete for a while, but it soon became clear they could not. So instead, they built much cheaper missiles, looking for a cheap way out, which they hoped could be used to defeat the carriers due to the advanced missile systems developed by Russia. It is probably... Not completely accurate to say that Russia poses no threat to the United States, but it does not seem so threatening when compared to some of the things Washington is doing to threaten Russia, such as surrounding it with intermediate-range nuclear missiles. There are a few nations out there who are still friends with Russia, including Turkey and Iran. Turkey is a NATO member, which was kind of handy during the Cold War, but a royal pain right now. Turkey bought the S-400 anti-aircraft missile defense system from Russia, and that missile system was specifically designed to defeat American stealth technology. Turkey, being a NATO member, was included in the F-35 stealth fighter program, but the Trump administration recently canceled Turkey from the program for obvious reasons. Turkey calls our NATO membership into question because it's now adverse to America. It just might be a good time. Good excuse to consider getting out of NATO and charting our own course. The Iranians have severe economic sanctions against them, which prevent them from selling their oil upon which their economy is 100% dependent. Sanctions placed on the Iranian banking system also prevent them from importing raw materials to manufacture products. China refuses to respect the sanctions against Iran and still buys Iranian oil, thus the so-called tanker war being carefully monitored now in the Persian Gulf by an American carrier battle group. The Iranians always appear to be great friends with Russia and all other sanctioned states, as well as with all international terrorist groups, sanctions drive people. No matter how diverse they are, people come together as allies against a common enemy. Speaking of common enemies, the United States aids and supplies the Saudi war against Iran in Yemen, where perhaps hundreds of thousands 
Odd civilians, many of them children, have died from starvation and war. It's kind of a anything that is anti-Iranian argument. But the result is that most likely permanent enemies and permanent war have been created. Venezuela is another heavily sanctioned country, apparently, because Washington doesn't like its duly elected leader, Nicolas Maduro. I suppose that Washington will keep the sanctions in place until Maduro is replaced by someone of their own choosing or until the Venezuelan people are all dead from starvation and disease. It's hard to tell whether the stupid socialism of Maduro or the stupid economic warfare of Washington is more to blame. The warfare does serve to make it more difficult to point to Venezuela and say, see, that's what socialism does to nations. Cuba, of course, has been under sanction since the Kennedy administration in 1961. The Cuban people saw some little bit of relief under President Obama's lifting, at least partially, some of the sanctions, one of the few things he ever did that I actually agree with. The neoconservative Washington warriors in the Trump administration wanted the sanctions reimposed, and so they were. The continuation of sanctions after 59 years is a very stupid, counterproductive policy. It only serves to continue the tension and harm the Cuban people. It doesn't help anyone. There are some other mild economic sanctions against Latin American countries, such as Nicaragua, but the next most obvious one is in the Far East, that is North Korea, economically sanctioned for obvious reasons. President Trump said recently that he communicates often with North Korea, Korean leader Kim Jong-un by letter because he cannot trust email or telephone calls not to be intercepted. That speaks volumes about the state of hacking and communications today, doesn't it? Even the president of the United States and the leader of a foreign nation have to use old-fashioned paper. Well, North Korean sanctions are severe, but President Trump says the two nations are friendly. Their differences will eventually be worked out, so time will tell. Perhaps in North Korea, the sanctions have actually helped. Here in America, the Democrats running for president all want to talk about gun violence by individual Americans, but none of them want to talk about the state-sponsored violence abroad. In fact, the government's violence is nonpartisan, all approved by Congress, except for Tulsi Gabbard, that is, Tulsi is all in favor of talking about the government's violence, but we are told that she is, quote, not credible, so I guess that's it for her. She's currently serving her two-week annual active duty in the Hawaiian National Guard. I understand that her unit is in Indonesia or Malaysia, so I hope it goes well for her there. I'm sure the elite in the Democrat Party don't want a populist uprising a la Donald Trump in their own party, so Tulsi and her views will not be heard since they have complete control of the media. They can decide that we will not hear her. Meanwhile, the economic warfare continues, but only China seems to be in the news right now. China continues its efforts on the Belt and Road Initiative, the BRI that we talked about last week. Despite the trade war and the currency war, why would China be a military threat to the United States anyway? Why would a nation totally dependent on exports to one country threaten that country's existence? No, no, folks, it's the BRI that threatens, not the Chinese military. Sanctions have a way of driving people together. As I said, now China 
is forming trade alliances across Eurasia and across Africa. Economic sanctions as well as tariffs are essentially the weaponization of commerce, something that is inherently peaceful, such as international commerce is made into a weapon. All in power and all who seek power seem to want that weapon. We are not allowed to consider anyone who does not want it. The American people watch all this. They don't seem to care. Perhaps they just don't understand it, but more likely they're victims of propaganda, similar to the German people, also victims of a middle class assassinated by decades of politicians. So they have to worry about feeding their families more than foreign policy. These interventions, whether economic, military, or both, are usually couched in humanitarian terms. We have to save the people, you see, especially the children. They're actually one group, one person's grasp for more power. There is a false narrative presented to justify all this intervention. People die for the lives, often thousands of people. No one seems to care, or at least care enough to say stop all this. We can't even agree that these disasters are no longer affordable. If they ever were, we will someday, someday soon perhaps, be forced by economics to do what we should be doing now, which is mind our own business. The bottom line is debt that on paper exceeds $22 trillion. Debt that cannot, will not ever be paid during the Reagan buildup. When President Reagan was trying to swamp the Soviet Union with military hardware purchases, and development of weapon systems. Congress argued over $400 billion, but now our military spending is over $800 billion. No one bats an eye. If you count the expenditures for the security state, the spending is over a trillion dollars every year. We have accepted trillion-dollar-plus deficits for the foreseeable future. Finally, folks, what's correct? What should we do? End all sanctions. Open up trade, unleash productivity and prosperity. Stop apologizing for those things because it's the one chance we have to move towards some level of peace, liberty, and understanding in this world the Democrat candidates should all be screaming about this, but instead they compete to decide who can steal the most of our labor to buy the most votes so they can achieve the most power. At least that's the way I see it. Until next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.